The G7 Leaders Summit has wrapped, and the U.S. has shifted its stance on providing F-16 fighters to help in Ukraine. Joining us to discuss this and the latest developments in Ukraine, we're joined by Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and expert in Eastern European Affairs. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning to you both. Well, let's break this down. We've had you know many checkpoints with you. Over the past 15 months, 15 months today, by the way, uh, the uh, conflict is old, 15 months for, starting on February 24th. Who would you say, or can we say, one of the two have an upper hand at this point? No, at this point, I would still uh, say it's a stalemate. Uh, we're now waiting for the, um, the Ukrainian offensive. Uh, we did see uh, in the last uh, two days this um, this sort of uh, incursion, if you will, by irregular troops, uh, Russian citizens who are fighting for Ukraine in their own little two units. Uh, they did a cross-border raid uh, in Belgorod, uh, shook up the Russians. Uh, I see that as part of Ukrainian preparatory operations for their offensive. They're trying to uh, unnerve the Russians and get the Russians to move their forces, spread them out thinner along the borders, because most people expect that the main emphasis of the rush of the Ukrainian offensive will be in the south uh, to threaten Crimea and so on. So, no, I think we're in that stalemate. Bakhmut is a stalemate. No, everything is stalemate. Interesting that, you know, the Ukrainian people, for the most part, and fighters have, have managed to hold off what... Putin would like to think was such a powerful army coming out of Russia, but uh, it's fa it's fascinating to see how they've managed to hold things off. Now, in the U.S., support for their government's financial help to Ukraine has dwindled. How vital, though, is financial support from the United States government and, frankly, from other countries as well? Absolutely critical. Uh, and in the, it's the American one, really. The American amount of aid that the United States gives dwarfs everybody else. So really, uh, it's very simple. Without American assistance, economic, military, Ukrainians would not be able to conduct this war. I think that's a very clear statement, and that's the, re the way it is. If the, the American uh, assistance becomes threatened over time, and you're correct, uh, polling suggests that it's slipping uh, in the U.S., and of course, as we know, there is a faction, not all Republicans, but a section of the Republicans, that is advocating a restraint on support for Ukraine, not canceling it, but restraining it, which would mean that the Ukrainians would be more and more in a position of inability to launch offensives. They would still be able to defend, and but they wouldn't be able to attack so much. And I think this is where we're going in the fall, and my suspicion on the airplanes and the F-16 approvals by the United States to let countries send F-16s into pilot training and so on, is a position in Ukraine for the longer term, uh, the fall and thereafter, where Ukraine will have to be able to defend and one day negotiate from a position of strength. But though those conditions are not assured. Well, let's break this down, Andrew, because there was uh, the U.S. coming out saying they were not interested in sending F-16s to Ukraine. Now they've, you know, turned that around. Uh, what was the, the difference and what was the change in their stance? So the, the Americans uh, made a major shift in their in their position before they were opposed to any F-16s going. And we have to remember that under international protocols, it's the, the country of manufacture of a major weapon system. They control the export licenses. So the United States, as the manufacturer of all F-16s, were depending, doesn't matter where they are in the world, they control the exportation of these airplanes. And they were resisting that. Now, uh, in the lead-up to the G7 summit, the Americans made a major shift. Uh, 
by allowing uh, those countries who have F-16s, should they wish to donate them to Ukraine, they, they could. The United States would not block it. That, the United States said it's not sending its own F-16s, but the United States will train Ukrainian pilots on American F-16s in the United States. Um, so that, why did they do this? Well, Jake Sullivan, American uh, Secretary of the, the, the Chairman of, of the Security Council, he said very clearly the Americans are now looking to the next phase of the war because mu- much of the equipment that's been promised is either there or coming there. There's not much more to go from the West in terms of to Ukraine. So they're looking beyond this offensive into the fall, into 2024, and they, they see the fighter aircraft situation as being the last, you can say, missing component to give the Ukrainian armed forces a strong, a stronger position as the West is able to do. It's kind of the last best thing the West can do. Yeah, potentially a game changer, right? So how, how has Russia responded to this fighter jet announcement then, Andrew? So, yeah, I, and, I, and I, when I hear game changer, I, I'm one of those who say there's no particular weapon system that in itself is a game changer. I call them game enhancers. They, they, they plus up, they improve, but the war, that, that doesn't mean Ukraine will win or anything like that. Now, the Russians, the Russians are saying, okay, you know, this will cause more devastation. Uh, they are going to, uh, they, they, they study these airplanes, they study their weak spots, and they are going to be con- uh, uh, coming up with their counter moves. And every system has a weakness, and the idea is to find out where that weakness is and, 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 and use your systems, because the Russians also have reasonably sophisticated systems. So, uh, so the game's in play on that one. Something that I've, I've, I've not heard about until this war, but apparently it's been around for quite some time, the Wagner Group. Can you tell us about yeah. exactly, I'm not sure if we say Wagner or Wagner. Um, yeah, Wagner. Well, it's, it's, it's after, after yeah. the German Wagner, so we make it the, the W of V. The Wagner, uh, the Wagner Group. Uh, is a, is a is a uh, mercenary group uh, that uh, has been around for a number of years, uh, led by a guy named Prokosian, or financed by him, uh, and they have been operating predominantly uh, in Africa uh, on behalf of Russian interests, so and in Syria, and so basically uh, they are like a, a, an armed group, like a, a mercenary groups, and they go and fight uh, against the people that Russians want them to fight against. And so they've been quite influential in securing allied positions for the Russians in certain parts of Africa, uh, particularly mineral-rich areas, where they basically supported uh, ruling elites in certain African countries to defend their interests, but then they, in turn, uh, acquiesced to Russian interests. Yeah, that's how it works. So that's what they've been doing for numbers of years, and quite successfully. But now they got involved in the war in Ukraine, because that wasn't going very well for the Russians. They needed a plus-up. And so Wagner Prigozhin decided, obviously in consultation with Putin, uh, that he would contribute uh, his forces. And then he went in big, uh, rather than just small, you know, the way they operate in Africa. He's operating at a fairly substantive uh, group of force there. And, and, of course, and then he got Putin's permission to recruit additional uh, people from the prisons. So he's got con- he has convicts fighting for him as well. And, and so, so that's what he's done. He's, and through that, he's really plussed himself up as a player within the Russian elites. So he's a, he's a player now, politically speaking, in Russia. That's fascinating. One quick question we wanted to get to you before we let you go is that there are reports out of Ukraine that indicate Russian soldiers might be under the influence of amphetamines or other narcotics. This is something that the Nazis did uh, back in the war. Is this common practice? And, and what effect do you think it might be having on this war effort? 
Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, uh, yes, the Germans, are. they had these tablets they used to give out to soldiers. That's sort of a very interesting history there. Um, well, the, the Russian soldiers uh, could be under influence of uh, vodka uh, or drugs, uh, and, and that's not new either. Uh, World War II, uh, the Soviet Army uh, ran on vodka in some ways. So, yes, this is no doubt there. Uh, it's, it's common to many armies, uh, unfortunately, in the field. The United States Army in Vietnam, particularly in the later days, the early 70s, it was half spaced out on various types of drugs and booze. So, yeah, it does happen to militaries. Uh, does that, is that going to make the Russian army collapse and withdraw? Unlikely. I wouldn't take that too far, except to say yes. Uh, there is certainly evidence uh, of, of the Ukraine of the Russians being under influence of various sort of um, you know alcohol and narcotics and so on. That that but that happens. Andrew, thanks for the update this morning. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. Glad to talk to you. Thank you, Andrew Rasoulis, a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs.